Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Having a terrible week? Well, hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Mohammed, and for the final time, I'm joined by my good buddy, Jacob Redmond. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Zach. Uh, You know, it's a little weird. It's our last time that we'll be talking about the Avatar universe together. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, Pretty wild ride we've been on, but I'm doing good. You know, I turned on the heat to get the comedy flowing, so hopefully it's funny. (laughs) Uh, It should be good. I'm excited to go through this uh, finale with you, Zach. Well, hopefully you don't get too hot, but I guess it is wintertime in Chicago, so... Yeah, if I get too hot, I just have to look outside and then it just does the trick for me. It's like, it feels like, uh, it's like zero degrees Fahrenheit. So I don't know what that is in Celsius. I don't know cold. what Fahrenheit is or anything about it. I'm a Celsius man. So, uh, oh, well, I guess that's the one bridge we couldn't, uh, we couldn't build the gap over is the Fahrenheit and Celsius. I will say, Zach, I've been trying to, you know, live like you these past few days. I've been, Thinking, you know, all I have to do to get faster at Sudoku is just be better. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, you know, I will never reach your times. I've gotten a lot better, but I'm nowhere close to the the mastery that you've displayed. What's your fastest time now? Are you sub three minutes? Uh, my fastest time on like the hard difficulty was like three minutes, 30 seconds. That's not bad. It's just like my brain doesn't even work that fast. Like I played the easiest mode because I was like, all right, this is going to be like my maximum that like I can possibly get my hard time to is as if it was easy. And like even that time I can only get to two minutes. It's just like I feel like it (laughs) takes so long for me to find the right buttons to press the numbers. I mean, you're next level. Oh, shucks. You're too kind. Well, I don't know. I've just been playing Sudoku for years. Like every day I play at least one Sudoku game for like, I don't know, the past decade or something. So it's just ingrained in me by this point, I suppose. So maybe that's why my times are seemingly a lot faster than yours. Hey, you know, check back one decade later. I'll be right there with you. (laughs) Um, 
Anyway, yeah, this is, uh, you know, we're here to talk about the finale. Lots of thoughts about the wrap-up of, uh, like, hang in there, the wrap-up of Avatar. So we'll talk finale. We'll go through lots of feedback from the listeners. Lots of people were nice to write in. Uh, so it should be a great podcast. I'm excited to uh, get started with it. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to when, talk some Avatar finale. with you. I do have one question for you. So we watched the first two parts of the finale um, like, and then podcasted about them. Did you watch the last parts of the finale when you watched the first two parts? No, I didn't actually. I waited. Okay. So I waited That's a good. week and then I watched it last week, but we didn't end up recording last week. So. And, and then when you, when you, uh, like had the, uh, when you watched it last week, did you rewatch the first two parts of the finale? Um, like, or did you jump in at part three? I just jumped in at part three. See, okay, so last week, or two weeks ago, when we recorded the first part of the finale, I watched one and two, and I shut it off. I was like, I'm not going to do, like, you know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself here. Last mm-hmm. week, whenever I watched uh, the finale, parts three and four, I started part three, and I was like, whoa, hold up. Like, this is such a momentum shift to go from, like, my daily life right into part three. So I had to end up going back and, like, rewatching the first two parts, because it just didn't, it just didn't click with me. Interesting interesting yeah. all right maybe i kind of now i'm kind of regretting not watching the rewatching the first two parts maybe i should have well i mean if you didn't feel it was weird then I, I think you're uh you're in the clear here but i just thought that like uh you know it starts off in like such a such a like close place to where it ended before like you know we start off like right with uh Katar and zuko on appa's back it was like i feel like i need to set the scene a little bit for what was at stake there that's fair that's fair um, but anyway, there you go. Uh, we'll be talking about Into the Inferno, uh, which is quite the episode title uh, for part three here. Like Into the Inferno sounds like uh, some sequel to a horror film. It sounds like some, po- yeah, almost like some post-apocalyptic type movie, Into the Inferno. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I like the alliteration that it's got going there. Um do do you remember what the literary thing is uh where it's like it's like one thing is literal and one thing is figurative? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, unfortunately oh, I do not. I'm not as well equipped with my literary devices as you are, Jacob. So Oh, okay, okay. It's it's a zugma. It's a figure of speech in which a word applies to two others in different senses or in, applies to two uh in different senses. So like John and his license expired last week. So it's called, excuse me, it's called a Zugma? A Zugma, yeah. I've never heard of a Zugma before. Oh, all right. Well, that's my favorite <laughs> one. You know, I said alliteration and immediately I thought uh, of Zugma. Um, back in like English class, we used to have to memorize uh, like what the very various literary devices were. So like we'd uh, we'd have a test every Friday on like a few different literary devices. Wow, I don't remember ever learning about zugmas in English class. Maybe I just slept through that one class. But yeah, I, I liked English. It was one of my favorite classes. But I don't remember talking zugmas. Well, I'm sure there are other things that we missed out on because we spent a lot of time on these like devices. My teacher was obsessed with them. We did like literally we do a quiz for the first half of class every single Friday. Yeah, I mean, you guys must be all expert writers by now with all the quizzes you had to do on literary devices. Expert identifier, that's for sure. <laughs> I can identify a Zugma after I Google the definition like nobody's business. Nice. That's sick. 
<laughs> Zuma. That's such a funny word. Zuma. I like saying it. Yeah, that's why it's my favorite device is because, well, first off, it's easy to know what it is because it's like, uh, they're usually like, you know, sort of clever or whatnot, but also it's a fun word. Yeah. So true. it's a win-win. Anyway, into the inferno, alliteration indeed. Uh, we can start talking through the episode. Um, so we start off the episode uh, only a few like seconds after the previous episode. Zuko and Katara are on Appa. Um, they're flying around, uh, and Katara is talking to Zuko, saying like, "Oh, it's all right. Like you know, we'll get Azula." Uh, and Zuko's like, "Nah, like that. That's not what I'm worried about here. Like I'm worried about Aang." Um, and he's still stuck on this, uh, inability to take out, uh, his dad as if like, uh, you know, it's really going to come down to not being able to kill, uh, the fire Lord. Little does he know a lion turtle fixed all of his problems about 15 seconds ago. <laughs> yeah. The lion turtle came in and taught Ang energy bending and bada bing, bada boom. There are no problems left. You are absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, why didn't Zuko think of that one? Like they had this whole part where they're like, no, you're going to have to do it. Like, no, it's, it's all you have to do is just have uh, a plot device that makes no sense. And there you go. Problem, problem solved. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about this, about the finale and the lion turtle stuff does come out of nowhere. I wish like you could have had like maybe I wrote, I think some, one of our writers, one of someone wrote in some feedback saying how like maybe Iroh could have been the one to teach Aang energy bending. And that would have made a little bit more sense rather than having this like, extinct being the lion turtle just like randomly floating in and teaching ang this lesson but oh well instead the lion turtle did the job yeah it would have been nice to have someone like uncle iroh who like has experience in different types of bending be like oh like there's another type of bending that's like you know ever that's maybe not part of like the destiny or whatever but like still um like yeah still like is important to know and like has that yeah it just it comes out of nowhere it isn't great uh i'm sure i'm gonna be mad about it some more times but um there you go yeah like i i think that uh you know zuko's fears are misplaced here he thinks that ang has a choice he thinks there's a binary but there's a option c he didn't even see (laughs) um anyway we cut to azula she's at the royal palace and man She's taken a nosedive since hearing that she's going to become the Fire Lord because, uh, yeah, you can just tell she's a little bit deranged. Everyone's on edge. Uh, I, I mean, I've clearly never had a boss this bad because, like, they just people don't exist that bad. But I did have one boss who, like, when he walked in the room, people did tense up a little bit because he would just get really angry at, like, a bunch of people who were effectively volunteers at this nonprofit. But he would get, like, all angry. He'd start yelling. He'd start, like, you know, smashing stuff in his office. Um, and, like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not the place to be. Wow. I don't think I've ever had a boss that bad. Thank God. My manager currently at work is a pretty nice gentleman. So, <laughs> I'm lucky. <laughs> I've had some good bosses in my day. I never had any bosses that could even compare to Azula. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, we're not even close to Azula. I mean, uh, no one was banished. Most of the time he wasn't even <laughs> mad about work stuff. So that was at least good. But um, yeah, it was just like a very unnerving situation. So here, like, uh, you know, Azula makes a hostile work environment where one of the servants offers a cherry pit or offers uh, a cherry, uh, but the cherry contains a cherry pit. And Azula just thinks that it's like, uh, you know, gonna be there to, to, to take her day out. Um yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that they give her um, 
cherries. I don't know. It doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like a Royal fruit in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think cherries are pretty pedestrian in comparison to some other fruits. Why yeah, is she not being I mean, fed like dragon fruit or something like that? Something see? epic. That's that's much better. I would even take like a raspberry, although raspberries are pretty pedestrian too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we can see that Azula is extremely unhinged. And I feel like this does not necessarily come out of nowhere. It all starts with like May and uh, Ty Lee turning on her. Once they turn on her, then Azula just fell to the wayside pretty much and just went crazier and crazier, unfortunately for her. Yeah, I do like that they do set that up. I mean, they have a say, like they have it, um, you know, like build a little bit and she reveals like, oh, people are going to betray me like, uh, you know, May and Ty Lee. And like the fact that Azula does have this like multiple episode arc of her falling apart is really interesting. It would have been nice to like, you know, have that what if of like, what if May and Ty Lee were by her side? Like, does she keep it together? Like, um, do we have like a more rational approach? Like it would have been interesting to see that universe, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That would be very interesting to see what like a uh, competent Azula could be doing in this situation with her status as the fire Lord up in the air. Yeah. Um, but instead she kind of gets the short end of the stick. Uh, she gets a, a fire Lord reign, or I guess actually she never becomes fire Lord, which is, it's just a little disappointing. Yeah, sucks for Azula, unfortunately. Zuko kind of poo-poos all over her coronation. (laughs) Yeah, right at the right time, too. Like, it's, like, right at the pivotal moment where it's, like, (laughs) about to become Fire Lord. Ugh, just terrible. Um, Anyway, yeah, I think that uh, poor poor Azula indeed. Um, Anyway, so this servant uh, is now banished. One interesting thing that I found on the Avatar Wiki is that the banished servant is, uh, in fact, the person who is banishing her. It's uh, Grey Delisle talking to herself. Oh, <laughs> she also was voicing the banished servant. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so she both did the banishing and did the the banishee. What would it be? Yeah, I think you got that right. I think okay, banishee. Sure. I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds about right. Yeah, I think I'd fail that on my English test. So Azula says this is her showing mercy. So my question to you is, what does Azula do when she's not showing mercy? Does she just like oh. vanquish the servant on the spot with like a lightning yeah. bolt? Yeah, she says like, okay, you you stand right here and just like strikes him down or like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely getting like killed for sure. Like I'm, I, I felt a little hesitant to say the word killed, but like killed for sure. <laughs> fair and then she also says she like commands everyone to scrub her feet then she what made me chuckle was like she won't have her first day as fire lord marred by bad foot hygiene as if that's like really important for a fire lord like oh you can't have smelly feet and if you're a fire lord i mean everything starts at the feet you know it's the base of the whole operation it's it's how you get started i'm i'm on her side here you know you can't have a good day if you start off with poor foot hygiene that's, okay, that's my motto bad. Uh, all right <laughs> um you know you gotta have a, a good a good leg to stand on i mean there's so many expressions that talk about uh like the importance of of uh you know good foot hygiene i don't know where i'm going with that <laughs> don't worry about it is fair. um anyway so no poor foot hygiene for azula uh, we then go to another scene where we see this like eel hound that uh Sokka, Toph, and suki were given is absolutely cooking. I think this thing might be faster than Appa flying. 
Yeah, I, I agree. This eel hound is, uh, is speeding down. Yeah, I, like I was extremely impressed by just like how much uh, distance this thing was covering. So, you know, props to the eel hound. But uh, anyway, Suki sees the comet and says like, it's kind of weird, but this comet looks beautiful. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, that's really pretty. Like, I'm a little sad that people can't just, you know, sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I think the orange hue that kind of like the finale has due to the comet really makes everything stand out and makes everything more beautiful. So I yeah. agree with you there. The comet does look quite nice. Yeah, I think that it's like the same sort of thing as the sunset. Like uh, sunsets are pretty because that like orange hue, different colors in the sky. It's like it's just a good look. Um, honestly, the comet is probably like a great place for influencers because you have golden hour for like the whole day um what's golden hour can you enlighten me on what that is oh it's just like the hour where like the sun's in the right place to get good pictures oh interesting. i think it's like all right i think it's like uh, an hour before sunset or something see you can tell i'm not the most photogenic person i don't take photos too often considering how i did not know about the golden hour but hey the more you know i I think that this is like somewhat common. Yeah. So, okay. When you Google it, it comes up. Uh, it says that sometimes people call it the magic hour, um, but it's shortly after sunrise or before sunset in which the daylight is softer and redder than before. So there you go. I really think the whole comet uh, is just golden hour all day. Golden Imagine day. you just have like Charlie D'Amelio or whatever dancing while like the whole world is burning. <laughs> yeah, you have the like silly TikTok dances where they're just like, like, you know, doing the like dance or whatever and like TikTok Nicole's like over there dancing. Uh, and then, yeah, the Fire Lord just burning the entire world to the ground. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, that's, a, uh, that's a funny but said depressing image. Yeah, I mean, I really think that's what would happen. You know, the influencers are like, look, if the world's going down, I'm at least going to get some likes on the Insta post. Yep, fair. Um, oh, okay. This, I've created an Instagram, which is essentially just like a photo diary for me. It has zero followers, but I've now posted on it way more than I posted on my regular one. I'll just like post random thoughts that I'm having and just like uh, like with some random pictures so I can like have a diary. It's super helpful. More people should be doing this. Nice. And do you apply, do you intend on just keeping it private forever? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, most of the things on there are like notes to myself or like, uh, like I made a comment about this good place where I ate. Um, I like quoted my favorite movie. Yeah. I mean, like none of these things are things that anyone I think would appreciate. Oh, I also like all my own posts, which I think is funny since I'm the only one who sees them. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it's solid. I was in some Facebook group where that's what we all would do. We would like our own post. Then if anyone said it was weird, we'd call them weird for not liking their own post. Good times. <laughs> I like that energy, though. I mean, I know that people, I'm not the first person to say it, but if you're going to post it on the internet, you should probably like it. Yeah, facts. So if you're not going to stand behind it, I just, I don't, I don't buy it. So there you go. Like your own posts. 100%. Anyway, so all the influencers will get to like their own post as they get the beautiful comet to light up the background of their photos. Uh, but thankfully, Toph and Sokka are, you know, on the mission. They realize we can't take photos. No, uh, no TikTok dances for them. Uh, <laughs> they get to the airship base 
and they see that uh, the fleet is taking off. Um, so uh, Toph just decides out of nowhere, all right, let's go. Uh, we're going to take off too. Uh, she then like flies them into the air uh, and they land on a ship just in time. Now, is this one of the most impressive blind feats we've seen from Toph? Because she lands on something that's in the sky. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know how she was able to even sense it. Like, this didn't necessarily make much sense to me, how, like, Toph's seismic sense is usually stuff that's rooted to the ground. But hey, like, at the same time, Sokka says they're too late, but MVP Toph going for another MVP. Ask Sokka where the nearest airship is, and she's able to launch all three of them up on top of it. So, shout out Toph once again, doing things that even I did not think were possible and just proving me wrong. Yeah, total cheat code here. Again, you know, Toph is just breaking the game left and right. Um, I, I mean, I guess maybe like Sokka pointing to it is all that she needs to get the general direction, but it really was just very impressive. So, you know, hats off there. Uh, and then we see this plan um, that the Fire Lord has. So the Fire Lord is on the first ship and the first airship is like they're in this like V formation that, you know, like every ship, I'm sure, or every like bird formation or whatever. I'm sure people... People know what the V formation is. But so uh, Fire Lord Ozai is in the front one. And then there's a bunch of other people on the other one. And their plan is just to like go over the Earth Kingdom and just literally burn the entire thing to the ground. Like it, that's their current plan. Yeah, that, that seems like what their plan was. It's just going to take so much time. I think if like multiple firebenders are shooting like if you have like 20 of them shooting like Sozin's comet boosted fire blast concurrently then maybe it won't take as much time as you think man i it's just gonna be like i mean it's a full day of work yeah yeah for sure it's a full day of work but they were ready for it and they were willing to burn everything down so yeah i just don't know what you could have done to make it go faster but like you really hope that there would have been something, but I guess that was the plan. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we see them like start to take off. Uh, but now uh, we have the the trio of Sokka, Toph, and Suki on the ship. Next scene that we get is Azula in the throne room. What were your thoughts on the blue throne room fire? I thought the blue throne room fire was pretty damn badass. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I agree. Very cool look. It's a nice differentiator between like her and her dad before her. Um, Getting that blue fire just shows like, you know, this is like her personality. It's like her in that throne room. I'm I'm pretty uh, happy we got to see that. Yeah. And then we see she's berating the dyed leaf for being five minutes late because an assassin could have snuck in and killed her. What are your thoughts on this, Jacob? Azula doesn't need to worry about assassins. Like, unless the assassin is, like... I Like, I don't even know a person in the Avatar universe who I'm, like, very worried about getting to her. Maybe Combustion Man, like, because of the explosive nature of it. But even him, like, I think Azula can take him. Yeah, and I feel like he's not stealthy enough to... Oh, yeah. To, for Azula not to notice him. So, I think even Combustion Man would get foiled by Azula. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Probably, just, probably the only person that Azula really needs to worry about would be May and Ty Lee. Like Ty Lee can sneak in and uh, disable the bending, and then you're like actually in trouble. Otherwise, like I don't think there's a single person that she needs to be worried about. Yeah, I think you're right. And May and Ty Lee are stuck in prison, so they're not going to be sneaking up on her anytime soon. Exactly. 
Um, anyway, the one funny line that she says here is she says, uh, is this how you plan to treat your new fire Lord with tardiness and disloyalty? <laughs> and I think that's just a great phrase. Like, uh, like next time my sister like says she's going to call and calls like 15 minutes later and she says 10, I'm just going to be like, is this how you treat your brother? Tardiness and disloyalty. Like, uh, <laughs> just, just the perfect amount of sass. Hardiness and disloyalty. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I like that's what that you should have said well. to me when I was uh, when I was late to record tonight, so I could get home. And- <laughs> Is this how you treat me, Jacob? With hardiness and disloyalty? Yeah, I should have said that. You're right. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're doing thirty different Sudoku games in the hour that we waited. <laughs> no, no, I didn't play any Sudoku today. I don't think. Oh man! Well, um, I've I've been playing pretty consistently. I'd say I, you know, one day I really think uh, I'll crack it. I'll I'll uh, you know, I'll, I'll find some way to tell everyone once I've done it. I'll tweet about it. Maybe download the app that I play on. I'll talk to you about it afterwards. But maybe it's like that app is faster for people. Who knows? Yeah, I think it really is my fingers. But anyway, um, <laughs> thank God, like, Azula doesn't time my Sudoku because I'm sure she wouldn't be happy with it. Uh, she's not happy that the people are five minutes late. And for that, sh- they get banished. Uh, at least, you know, she's in her still merciful state. She's still not killing people on the spot. So that's cool. Yeah, true. Yeah, and then when the Daily retort, they're like, oh, we, they would never betray Azula. She's like, oh, I bet that's what you said to Long Fang before you betrayed him, which is kind of true. It's like they were they were yeah. loyal to Long Fang, and then they turned on him. So yeah, I can understand I mean, why she's a bit apprehensive to trust the Daily. It's just a bad look if you're like, oh, no, I would never do this to you. It's like, but you just did this to someone else. Like, Like, your words don't mean anything. Like, you can say it all you want, but like... I don't know. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, 100%. Oh, wait, okay. So, what's more? I, I know a picture is worth a thousand words and actions speak louder than words. So, is a picture better or is an action better? A picture is worth a thousand words and then actions speak louder than words. I think picture and action in that equation are both equal or could be equal. You, you don't have one over the other? Mm, I would say picture but i don't know what do you okay i was leaning a little bit towards action but i'll take picture too well picture's worth more than a thousand words and action you don't know how many words it how many how many words it's louder than so i'm not sure (laughs) hopefully louder than 999 (laughs) yeah but what if it's less that's why i lean towards picture (laughs) there you go we're in a real predicament here (laughs) Uh, um anyway then one of the funniest things that azula says and i'm not even sure it meant to be like this big of a joke but azula says please send in the next group on your way out as if it's like she's the dmv just like take your number while you get banished (laughs) the dbv the department of banishing vehicles exactly yeah like i just thought it was so funny that like the daily leaves and she's like all right bring in the next ones like let me tell you what they've done wrong to me today yeah she's just banishing all these people left and right i'm not surprised lo and lee come in later and are like we're worried about your well-being azula yeah that scene was also funny with the like uh mistaken identity between the two of them we'll get to in a second yeah um anyway so now we're back on the airship um sock is trying to be all sneaky like uh toff has no time for this uh toff 
does like just some incredible maneuvering here goes full metal bending this time even learning that she doesn't need an isolate thank goodness uh, <laughs> and she's able to totally decimate the crew um all the fire nation soldiers just get like completely rocked by her as she just like takes them out one by one there's like four of them in the in the main helm of the ship she takes them all out and then takes off her metal suit uh this was just like a clean sweep very impressive yeah, Toph is able to break down the metal door and then encase herself in it to make herself impervious to the firebending blast. She then, like, slams one of the soldiers upwards with a slab of metal. Then she, like, smashes another one with a pipe, hits another one with a different slab of metal. And then the last dude, she just hits him with, like, a punch in her suit for a one-punch <laughs> KO. So, yeah, Toph, I, I'm, yeah, you're right. She just absolutely decimated these this, these crew members. Yeah, it almost felt very Hulk-like, like this sort of fighting style where where you just go in, you just like smash some stuff and just absolutely dominate a bunch of like uh, scrubs at fighting. Like it seemed very much like the Incredible Hulk. I'm sure Toph um, would love that Hulk comparison you just made. So that's good. <laughs> I, yeah, I bet she would. I bet if she wanted to be played by one of the Avengers, she'd want the Hulk to play her on the live action. The I one agree. thing that doesn't make a ton of sense here is that metal does heat up like... <laughs> it would just be genuinely hot to be in that suit, uh, like with all the fire bending and being encased in metal. Yeah, probably would be, but Toph is just different from us. No, yeah. She's built different. She already has so many calluses that uh, on her feet <laughs> that she's just built different. She can take the you know <laughs> steaming metal exactly. Um, anyway, so now it's time to uh, you know take control. Uh, Jesus take the wheel uh, and then Toph is like yeah I'm not gonna drive the ship like uh, I'm blind and Sokka's like I was talking to Suki now stay woke I don't think that Sokka had thought about it and I think that Sokka was talking to Toph and then used this as an out to say that he was talking to Suki huh that's an interesting theory you might be right I have no evidence against that theory so I'll agree it with it you know what why not it just, you know, it seems like the type of thing that Sokka would do. Sokka would be like, oh, yeah. And he learned like one too many times that like he forgot the top is blind. That, that's what I'm thinking is, is he's just quick on his feet and he what, didn't actually know uh, or didn't make the connection. Well, speaking of Sokka quit being quick on his feet, Sokka has an idea here where he speaks into the captain's mic and tells everyone to report to the bomb bay for hot cakes and sweet cream to celebrate a birthday. And I like the captain voice he puts on, too. It's pretty funny. He's like, okay, everyone, report to the Bombay. Like, I don't know, the way he talks is just too funny as a captain. It's his classic, I'm impersonating an adult voice. We've heard it a few times before, uh, like when he was in, uh, like when he went to Aang's uh, principal's office. As Wang Uh, Fire, yeah. As Wang Fire, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we, we hear that. Uh, also hotcakes and sweet cream. I am not sure that pancakes and like ice cream make a ton of sense to go together. I mean, maybe sweet cream's not like ice cream, but I I don't know. Like that doesn't seem like what I'd want. I mean, I'm more of a pie person than a cake person, but I think ice cream or brownies are better than both, but I don't Mm -hmm. know. What, what's a go-to dessert for you? Brownies are for me, brownies and ice cream. I like a lot. I'm more of a cake person than a pie person though. I hate all pies except for pumpkin pie and a uh, banana cream pie. Okay, those are very different. Pumpkin and banana cream are not even in the same pie family. Yeah, I don't know. Those are the only two pies I can stand. All other pies can, I don't know, 
fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, good to know. They can fall off the face of the earth. That's that's uh, quite aggressive for these pies. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they're going to uh, take the ship closer to the water. And just then we get, uh, you know, a bunch of these people meeting each other. Uh, we get some people in communications introducing themselves to the engine room folks. Uh, and just then we have the one crew member whose birthday it actually is. And this, this guy, he's just so happy. He's like, uh, wow, the captain really does care. He remembered my birthday. And I just hope that that guy has a great birthday next year. Yeah, too bad his birthday this year is spent like almost drowning in the water. But hopefully he has a good birthday next year. Yeah, this guy runs up all giddy and he's like, he's like, yeah, I can't believe the captain remembered my birthday. And then he just gets dumped into the water like five seconds later. Yeah, poor guy. Um, but I, I thought that was cute. Uh, you know, good for him that it, that uh, he had that one moment of happiness. And then uh, nice job by the engineer. Like they, the joke is written really well where like they fall in the water. They're all just like floating. And the other guy just turns and he's like, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my mom and dad recently had birthdays. Uh, they just turned 50 each. Um, and so like, uh, yeah, I've, I've been like, uh, real big on the birthdays the past few weeks. Uh, they were born six days within each other. Uh, so two big birthdays have come up recently. Wow. How was celebrating? You have a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, um, it was nice to, you know, celebrate and, and like get to talk to them and I got to see my dad for his, it was nice. Um, you know, Birthdays are like, uh, yeah, I don't think my family is like the biggest on birthdays. So I don't think it's like as big as I think other people like, you know, I, I was never like the person that would like go to school with like the thing like on my hat that said like, Hey, it's my birthday. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think, I think very few of us were like that. I don't know. I don't know. There are a lot of people who like have a pin that says like, it's my birthday or like, uh, people like bring in like cake and whatnot. I mean, I like those people, those people like. They they gave me desserts during class, so they're cool. Um, but yeah, it was nice. Anyway, I hope this guy uh, gets to spend a, a good birthday with his family. He he needs a good one next year. Yeah, he deserves it. Shout out this random Fire Nation grunt. He deserves a good birthday. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other th- person that will end up deserving a lot more is uh, every other crew of another airship. They're very sure to make sure that all of the people on this airship are safe. Like they put them all like close in the water. They get rid of them. All the other airships that they destroy, they don't get rid of the crews. Like those crews go crashing down with the ships. Why does Sokka, like why does Sokka Tatsuki care so much about this crew? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe they were just like, okay, they need this ship empty to en- en- enact their plan. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Hmm. Because they have to be driving this ship, right? Yeah. With, but, and they have to take it off course with crew members on it who will probably notice the ship veering off course. Ah, uh, so it wasn't even about their safety. It was about not having the plan derailed. Yeah, I think so. At least okay. that's what I thought watching the episode. That actually makes a lot more sense. I was like, because I thought it was like to keep them alive. And I was like, it's a little bit weird that they go and kill a bunch of other people on other ships, but... It was just to keep their plan in order. All right. Well, I, I'm very satisfied with that explanation. Yeah, there you go. Look at my beautiful explanation that I just pulled out of thin air. I, hey, it was good. Uh, sometimes it helps to talk through these things. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, anyway, we go back to the Royal Palace. Lo and Lee are now uh, before Azula. And Lo and Lee, who are the advisors, they're the people who are trying to tell Azula, like, hey, this is what's best for you. You know, they've been trusted confidants at other points in Azula's life. Um, and so, you know, you might think like they have a bit of a wider breath, like they can get away with a little bit more. That is not the case. Um, they just say like a bit of questioning of Azula, you know, they question just a little bit, like maybe you shouldn't have gotten rid of the Dai Li, the Imperial Firebenders, uh, and Azula's not having any of it. Um, yeah, she doesn't want the concern. Uh, she doesn't want people to check in on her. Uh, Zach, how are you if people check in on you? I like people checking in on me. I don't mind that. Okay. I'm not uh, like Azula. I don't get offended when people check in on me. So <laughs> that's, that's definitely for the best. Um, Azula's pretty upset about it. Uh, Azula even thinks that Lo and Lee are like agents of her dad, uh, who are like there to tell her like what she's allowed and not allowed to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's pretty far fetched. Uh, but then Lee makes a fatal error by saying that we should postpone your coronation and Azula's not about that at all, uh, and wants them to fight in an Agni Kai. Now, what do you think an Agni Kai between two non-benders would look like if Azula forced them to fight? Uh, I think it would just be like a sloppy fist fight. Like, whenever you watch people who aren't trained in fighting fight, it's just like sloppy brawls. I don't know. It was actually two older people. It wouldn't be good. It would just be sad to watch, quite frankly. I like how, even though... They're twins. They're so quick to throw each other under the bus because when Azula's like, who said that? They both point at each other. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, they're, um, you know, they should be having each other's backs, but no, they're they're quick to turn the blame on the other one. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it would be a really sloppy fight. I know in an Agni Kai, like, the goal is to burn someone, uh, and that's who wins. So, I think it you'd have to go get like a candle or something or like a match and like it just it would just look much less uh less cool than the Agni Kai that we get at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Nah, fact. Um anyway, so then Azula tries to ban Lo, uh, but actually talking to Lee and says, Lo, you're banned, Lee, you can stay, but gets them mixed up. Uh so we're not really sure who's banished. My guess is both of them have to go. I feel like I'd do the opposite if I was one of them. I'd be like, okay, let's just both stay. And hopefully Azula's just in a better <laughs> mood later. Yeah, they could also do the thing where, like, um, like in the Prestige, where, like, they each live half the life and then hide the other half of the time. Like, they, they could get away with that. Yeah, probably. Also, that was a massive spoiler for the Prestige. I hope that I'm allowed to spoil that movie. I've never heard of it, but um, yeah, maybe put a spoiler alert in the notes or something. Spoiler for the prestige. Well, let me see when the movie came out. It's like 2007 or something. 2006? I feel like that's fair game. Yeah, that's fair game. Who the heck cares? I mean, I'm sure some people do. Uh, It is a good movie, though, Zach. You should watch it at some point. It's a fun movie. I guess, but now that I'm spoiled on it, do I really want to watch it? You don't even know what the spoiler is. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, you really should watch it. It's uh, Have you seen another Christopher Nolan movie? Yeah, I've seen The Dark Knight. What else have I seen? Um, that's pretty much it. I've seen The Dark Knight trilogy, so. Okay, Th- this one's not really like that. It's I'd say it's, I don't know, less action, more like uh, more story driven. 
I think I've heard of it, to be honest. I think my friends were really into it. Did Christopher Nolan also direct Memento? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a solid one. Memento's not as fun, though. Memento's, like, uh, a little darker. Yeah, Memento's been on my list of stuff to watch for years, and I've just never gotten around to it. Uh, former guest Matty G has a list of stuff to watch that's apparently, like, years long. Like, he'll get suggested a movie, and he says, like, oh, cool, I'll put it on my list, and then he gets back to you, like, four years later when he gets around to watching it. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, like, he should just shorten the list and get rid of all the on the stuff on the list that's not good. <laughs> Drew all the garbage on the list. Yeah, I don't think he's going to like me telling, giving him advice on his list. I think he, he does it pretty well, <laughs> according to himself. <laughs> um, Anyways, so we cut to the White Lotus. And we see Iroh, Piandao, Paku, and Zhang Zhang, and Bumi all standing in a line with Iroh at the front of it. And we see Iroh taking in deep breaths, and as he does, the fire around the, all of them starts to slowly increase and decrease, which is pretty cool. And then we see him, like, charge up and create this huge firebending blast to, like, start off their battle to retake Bossing. Say, What were your thoughts on this, like, whole scene with the White Lotus fighting the Fire Nation? My biggest thought is that Pian Dao really does not belong. I mean, he really has no justification for being there. Uh, I mean, like all of the other people do some of the more impressive bending feats that we see. Even the non-firebenders are doing stuff that we haven't seen um, like people do. So it's like really impressive what they're doing. But then we just have Pian Dao who like has a sword. Like it's just you're just not on the same level. I feel bad. Well, the, you know what's funny? It's like Puck, we see Paco and Piandao sliding on an ice ramp, and then they're like knocking out a bunch of those like NPC level one spear wielding people that we talked about in season one. Like, why are these guys on the front lines for the Fire Nation's attack? Shouldn't we have like all firebenders? Why do we have these people with like spears and no bending apparently attacking yeah. on the front lines? It made no sense to me. That that is a really good point, especially because we also see like a bunch of the um, like the tanks that are being used. Like you should put the tanks closer and then put the spear people like in the back. Yeah, the spear people should be like the last line of defense, or just not be a line of defense at all. Those guys should just stay at home. Yeah, I agree. Um, although they probably are like home, right? Like they probably do just stay in Bossing Say all the time. Oh, true, true, true. You're right. Um, but yeah, anyway, we do see some pretty cool bending here. Um, like we see essentially fire being used as a wall and fire being used as a wave quite often during this fight. Like that's one move that we see quite a bit is like a fire wall turn into a fire wave and just like go through the entire city raising like the, uh, like all the tanks all at once. Yeah, that's how like Zhang Zhang fights, which is pretty cool because he like floats above them and then creates huge walls of fire. And it's like crazy that if you're a powerful fi- in a firebender, you can just fly. Like Azula is able to do this too. I kind of wish I could just, I was a firebender and could just fly everywhere. That would be dope. You, I feel like you have to be a very powerful firebender to do it, but. Yeah, uh, very powerful or just wait for the one day every hundred years where you can fly. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he does like do a lot of flying here. The other thing that I think is uh, is a little weird is that like, um, like they also like ta- uh, they stack the tanks uh, for some reason. Like I don't know why, but like in their fighting, they go like uh, you know enough to like 
put the tanks like in a in a line like when they dispose of them that seems a little excessive yeah but i guess it kind of makes sense because then the tanks aren't going to be doing anything when they're all like lined up on top of one another it's fair yeah i guess it makes it pretty hard to escape or whatnot yeah exactly that's what i thought when i saw boomy stacking them all up yeah well there you go you can also play like jenga and try to remove one and see if you can (laughs) you can do that bending Um, jenga yeah that's pretty cool that'd be pretty fun i think that uh yeah i think earthbenders would just have a massive advantage yeah i agree i was thinking that too that earthbenders would be really good yeah uh, firebenders would have like it would just be normal Jenga for them. Like if you're playing Jenga with a firebender, they're just using their fingers the same as they would if they were playing Jenga and not firebenders. Could a waterbender like freeze the tank and then remove it? Would that make it easier? Mm, I feel like that's cheating, but maybe you could. <laughs> I mean, I really think that like earth is the best, then air, then water, I guess, and then fire is like actively bad. Fair. For in Jenga terms. Um, anyway, the next scene we get is Azula. She's standing in front of a mirror as she's trying to get her hair um, all ready to go. Uh, she then does what tons of people did uh, last year in the past two years, cuts her own hair and does a very poor job. <laughs> yeah, facts with the pen. Azula's just living that pandemic lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she even spiraled. Azula really is the hero that we didn't know we needed over the pandemic. Someone who, you know, when she's by herself, just absolutely spirals, gives herself a terrible haircut, uh, and then is uh, not going to hang out with anyone in person. I mean, that really is the pandemic hero we all deserve. Yeah, and honestly, this scene with Azula is kind of heartbreaking. This is like the one part of moment in the finale where I actually feel for Azula. Her having this vision of her mother telling her that all her life she's used fear to control people. And then Azula's like, even you fear me. And then Ursa, her mother, is like, no, I love you, Azula. I do. Which causes Azula to start sobbing and break the mirror. I thought this was some truly heartbreaking stuff here. Yeah, it is really sad to see this, like, inner monologue that Azula's been telling herself. Like, you know, clearly her mom did care for her. It's just, like, the narrative that was in Azula's head made it almost impossible for her to be able to see that. Uh, And it is very sad. You know, Azula's ultimately not going to be able to reconcile that. Uh, And instead, she's going to have a broken mirror. (laughs) Isn't that bad luck or something? I think so. I've heard that breaking your mirror is bad luck. I could be wrong, but I've heard that somewhere. I mean, it seems like bad luck. Most of the things that are like superstitions are just also like good advice. Like, I think that's why they're superstitions. Yeah, Um, like never standing under a ladder. Yeah, like, great. I agree. You should not stand under a ladder or under an icicle. Like, yes, don't stand under an icicle. That's just like practical advice. That's not like a superstition. (laughs) true um anyway so breaking a mirror bad idea uh yeah and she really is really sad and you can see like her hair is just like completely i don't know gone deranged uh as she's just like very upset um yelling and crying at the at the mirror um definitely a a hard day for her she really should postpone the coronation yeah she should but instead she's gonna attempt to go through with it and ultimately fail (laughs) <laughs> oh, but <laughs> I feel bad for the way you said it. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened. <laughs> and ultimately fail. Yeah. Sucks for her. 
anyway, we then see uh, the Fire Nation ships. We start to see Ozai's plan as he inhales and as he exhales, he just lets go this immas- this like incredibly massive fire blast that just starts like completely raising the ground underneath him. Um, it's yeah, pretty pretty scary stuff. Yeah, he unleashes this like devastating blast of fire onto this rocky island where Aang is waiting for him. And then Aang has Momo on his shoulder and he tells him it's time to go. Then he expertly earthbends at Ozai's ship propellers and takes them out. Then we where see... Is, oh, Where you, is Momo going? Uh, I don't know. He's just flying away from the fight, probably. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Why do you ask? You're just like... I- I don't know. Like usually they give Momo something to do like, uh, in the fights, like when Momo's not fighting the humans, like he normally has some like animal to fight or something. Like, I I mean, he literally just flies away. And then right after the fight's over, he flies back. Like he knows exactly when, uh, like when Momo's needed. Yeah. He probably just flew somewhere pretty far away and then just came back. We use his animal instincts to know when the fight began and when the fight was over. Smart little lemur. Yeah, true. That's what Momo is. The smart little lemur. And then one thing that's crazy here, Ozai like burns his outfit off and then we get some like music straight from Psycho with like these crazy strings as Ozai maniacally manically flies down to confront Aang. Do you notice this like music shift? Yes, I did notice that. And like more importantly, I noticed that he rips all of his clothes off to fight this teenage boy. And as he rips all of his clothes off, he burns them behind him. That's the most deranged thing I've seen. Like, could you imagine like taking your shirt off and as you're doing it, just lighting it on fire? No, I could not imagine that because that's not something I would ever do. (laughs) You would look so crazy. Like if you did that in like in public, in nature, you would be like held in like some, uh, some like ward to make sure you're okay. Like he just like burns his clothes off totally normally. And then he like, uh, you know, flies at him. Like, like it almost propels him towards Aang. Like just a crazy deranged move from Ozai. He's crazier than Azula. Um, I don't know if he's crazier than current Azula currently is at this point in the finale, but they're both pretty insane. Yeah. True. True. I mean, one's a genocidal maniac, and the other, actually, they're both the genocidal maniacs. What am I saying? Yeah, no, you're right. They're both equally crazy. Why not? Yeah. Um, anyway, so then, yeah, he does like uh, have this have this uh, crazy move, and the music does get really intense. Um, yeah, the the music just gets like pretty wild here. Is like uh, he starts rocketing towards um, rocketing towards Aang. Yeah, and then he says this following line. He's like, after generations of Fire Lords failed to find you, now the universe delivers you to me as an act of providence. And, like, the way Mark Hamill delivers this line, it's so, like, badass and epic, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this sort of energy to say, like, oh, like, the universe has delivered you to me as, like, a gift is just, like, just wildly, like, egotistical-driven, like, pretty crazy. Uh, And then Aang... After hearing that crazy <laughs> note from uh, Ozai, is like, look, we don't need to fight. We don't have to do this. As if that's going to happen. I mean, what probability do you think Aang was putting on that? It's got to be 0% chance that that works. 
No, I agree. It's a zero percent chance. To Ang, he must have thought there's like a five percent chance that works, and Ozai just appeals to him, and they sip tea and go off into the happily ever after. Yeah, what a crazy thing! If Ozai was like, "Wait, we we can stop this." You're saying I can help run Iro's tea like tea shop with him? Like, uh, what a crazy crazy thing that he says. Um, anyway, Ozai uh, rejects that nice little peaceful offer. Uh, and instead shoots fire from his hands and his mouth as he looks insanely deranged. Yeah, yep. He shoots this huge blast of fire, which shockingly Aang is actually able to parry with some firebending of his own pretty easily. I guess maybe Aang's firebending is boosted by Sozin's Comet, too. Oh, yeah. But still impressive that Aang, not in the Avatar state, is able to parry it pretty easily. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, he, he definitely leveled up. Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit more like that firebending masters episode where like they learn from the dragons is actually extremely important because without mm-hmm. it, there's like no justification for why Aang is able to hold his own here. But like because he got that sort of teaching and he like learns like fire is not like all destructive, but like the art behind firebending, um, he seems to make really quick progress. Yeah, no, 100%. His firebending has drastically improved, especially when you look at season one where he could barely even firebend to now where he's like firebending against arguably the strongest firebender in the whole universe. Yeah, but one question I do have at the end, and we should talk about this like uh, a little bit later, but I'll just tee up the question now so you can be thinking about it. Does Aang actually fulfill his destiny? Like, I don't think he mastered all four elements. He relies on the Avatar state. So, like, does he actually need to master all four elements in order to beat Ozai? Like, I don't, I don't think that he does. Um, yeah, I don't think he necessarily mastered all four elements, but he had to be proficient in all four elements to be able to beat Ozai. So, yeah, there's I that. guess that doesn't have as much of a ring to it in terms of prophecy. Like, <laughs> you must have a C plus in all four elements. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, he had to be decent in all of them. Because then while he's in the Avatar state, like I understand in the Avatar state, it grants you immense power, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can like bend every element while you're in the Avatar state, right? Because like no, when we it... first see him in the Avatar state, he doesn't bend every element. He bends, he just turns into this like fish monster thing. Yeah, but but I think that it does because like the Avatar state allows him to connect to his past lives and his past lives knew how to firebend. Like I think that we see him um, firebend as Roku before we, he ever learns firebending. Yeah, that is true. But then I thought that was just like Roku taking over his body, but I guess that is the Avatar state. So you're right about that. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't really think that he does it, but you know, proficient in all four is pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it's close enough. Um, there is some like pretty cool, uh, earthbending that Aang does here. Aang really earthbends like an airbender. Um, I like, and what I mean by that is like the way he uses earthbending is like to propel himself away to like get space between him and Ozai. Um, and he's like constantly using like the rocks around him to create distance between him and Ozai, which is just a very airbender approach to it. And I think it's kind of cool that we can see like his airbending creep into the other bending styles. Yeah, no, that's a very neat observation on your part. And look at Toph's tutelage. Even now, her earthbending teaching is 
washing off on Aang, and he's able to go toe-to-toe with the Fire Lord, with primarily Earth. I feel like a lot of the bending he does prior to going to the prior to going into the Avatar state was Earth. Yes, there is a lot of uh, a lot of earth bending here. Um, I do think that it would also be another question that we should be thinking about as we go through this is uh, which of the four nations gets the win here in the finale? Like, uh, which of the four nations has the best total representation across the finale episodes? Hmm. Um, Dan Sinensky made a pretty good argument that it would be water bending, but I do want to I do want to at least leave it open. Okay, we'll come back to that at the end of all of this. Perfect. Um, anyway, so they they keep fighting. Sokka sees that they're fighting, uh, and he cheers Aang on with uh, a, a nice little phrase of airbending slice. <laughs> what a great cheerleader Sokka is. Yeah, that's one of the one of the questions uh, that we had in the Discord was like, what phrase do you use from uh, like Avatar in your daily vernacular? And that is something that I used to say. I don't say it anymore because I think I'd look a little crazy. But I was in like middle school. Um, I would be like, whatever I had in my hand, I'd be like, notebook slice, just like uh, just like Sokka would. For me, the one thing I used to always say is Flamio Hotman. It's yeah. Like, that's oh, a- and I just that scene, he's like, Hotman, 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 Flamio Hotman. I don't know why, <laughs> it just cracks me up. Oh, yeah, that's a, that is a very solid one. Yeah. Uh, the Flamio Hotman is just it's just an iconic line. No, hundred percent. That episode was really fun to run through with uh, Davis, comma Will. Yes, it was. Um, anyway, so we go back to this uh, to Sokka saying airbending slice, uh, and then he decides that the way that they're going to take down the other things is uh, the other ships is with an airship slice. Um, their plan is to slice across the top of all the other ships, causing them to fall. Uh, pretty smart, I think. Like, I'm not sure if this is the plan beforehand, but it seems like a pretty good idea. No, I agree. I think their plan to take out all the ships here was pretty intelligent, and it works out. Ultimately, they're able to do it, surprisingly. So, Yeah. Um, anyway, so Sokka gets everything in order. Uh, they get everything ready to go. Uh, and yeah, they, they like start this, this, um, thing where they're going to start like, uh, you know, using the ship to crash into the other ships. Uh, tough here again, absolute cheat code. Um, quite impressive, but really just, I, I thought it was like very clever from, uh, from Sokka and Toph and the rest of the crew to take out the rest of the airship. So good job by them. I have a question. They, so Sokka like sets their ship onto a collision course with the other ships. Why does it cause, like, their ship to start to, like, malfunction for some reason? Did you notice that? Um, well, I think, like, yeah, because it does malfunction before they actually interact with the other ships. Because I was going to say, like, maybe it, like, threw stuff off of balance when they, like, hit the other ships. But you, you do make a good point that things seem to be falling apart before they even touch another ship. Yeah, just a th- just food for thought. I was just, I was just <laughs> curious about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it doesn't help that the entire crew's off the ship, and so it's not actually, like, getting any, like, maintenance or any, like, extra coal or whatnot. No, you're right. You're right. That's so true. I didn't think of that. You know what? You just solved that theory right there. There you go. Look at us, Zach. We're just solving things for each other left and right. We're we're crushing it. (laughs) Yeah, we're killing it. Look at that. 
Um, anyway, the, this scene really has like a very final feeling to it because Sokka says a lot of things here, uh, which just make it seem like it's the end. Uh, one of the phrases he says is like, um, or Suki asks him like, what's, what happens next? And Sokka responds, we'll watch each other's backs. And if we make it that far, I'll let you know. That just feels very like third act of the movie to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And it's like, it is like the final act of the movie is just about to start because we're just about to end this episode and jump straight into the final episode. So makes yeah. sense. Um, anyway, we then see them get to the top of the ship uh, and then Suki uh, is separated from the rest of the group. This was this was like pretty intense, actually. Like, I don't know. It kind of seems like Suki's like uh, out for the count. Yeah, I know, because then Su- you see, like, Suki fall off, and then you see Sokka yell, Suki, and then she, like, just at the last moment lands on another ship that happens to be flying beneath them, but you're right. I thought Suki was going to fall to her doom at one point here. Yeah, and we've seen people fall off of Fire Nation airships and catch themselves. Like, Azula did the same, but for some reason, like, before you see her on the next airship, it really does seem like she's just she's just out. Um, but then there you go. Suki says like, okay, leave me alone. Uh, finish the mission. So now it's Toph and Sokka, uh, going to take down the other ships. Um, when they crash in these other ships, the other ships are like shaking from like this crashing. Like, I don't know what it is about these two ships connecting, but these, these must be just very fragile ships in general because all it takes is like a little bit of contact and both ships like immediately start falling apart. And then they are kind of fragile because they almost look like blimp-like to me in mm-hmm. a way. They're not necessarily blimps, but they kind of look like blimps. And for that reason, I feel like they might be fragile, kind of like the Hindenburg in real life. I don't think the Hindenburg was fragile. I think it was just like a tragedy. Like, I think that it was like probably a, a pretty sturdy blimp. Probably. Yeah, and you're right. It's just filled with like a bunch of gas and stuff. So yeah. That yeah. caused the explosion, so. Not the best analogy on my part. Oh, I'm sorry, Zach. I, I feel bad. You know, you've been explaining <laughs> things so well, and here I am just shutting you down. Eh, it's hit or miss. I'm not bad. I, li- I like to be fact-checked and corrected so that I learn not to make the same mistake next <laughs> There you go. That's a good <laughs> attitude. Um, anyway, we go back. Uh, someone who hasn't learned, uh, you know, to get over her mistakes is Azula. Um, the fire sage is about to crown her fire Lord. Uh, and Azula's like, all right, do it. Like you, you need to make me fire Lord right this second. Uh, but no, she can't, uh, she can't become fire Lord because Zuko's right there saying that, uh, that you know, you can't become fire Lord. It's going to be me. I'm the fire Lord. And they have this whole like uh, standoff right in front of everyone. This felt a little bit cheesy. Like I get, you know, it was a good scene and whatnot, but it was just like, I don't know him busting into the last second being like, no, I do object. It's going to be me instead of you was, was a little too much. I agree. It's a little cheesy, but ultimately I think the Azula versus Zuko battle is my favorite part of the finale, but I forgot how short it is. We really don't get too much of them battling. It's like, as soon as we do like Azula shoots lightning at Katara, Zuko blocks the blast. And that's pretty much it for the Azula versus Zuko battle which I felt like they've been building up to for the whole series and for it to end like that. I don't know. I was a little disappointed. I think my first time rewatching it, I really enjoyed it. But now after multiple rewatches, I'm like, ah, I kind of wish they fought for a little longer. 
Yeah, I mean, the fight is really epic. Um, they do some really cool stuff. Uh, so, like, Azula challenges him to an Agni Kai. Um, mm-hmm. So, Zuko and Azula are going to Agni Kai. And I think that, like, the fight itself is really cool. You're right that it doesn't last all that long, especially when you put in context how long the Ozai and Aang fight lasts. Um, but I did think that it was, like, really cool, the parts that we got. So, you know, when we get to ranking the fight, it, it's going to be up there for me, like, as one of the best fights. No, I agree. I agree. I'm going to have it high up there as well. Yep. Um, anyway, one interesting thing that Zuko is able to notice is that Azula's not really on her game. Uh, he's able to see, like, you know, uh, I know that it doesn't make a ton of sense uh, that I'm going to, like, fight her by myself, but she's slipping. I can just tell, like, uh, that something's wrong with her. And I think that's, like, nice perceptive. It's, like, uh, I think it's a pretty good call, actually, by Zuko to see that, like, this might actually be the best path forward. Could he not just tell by looking at her hair? Is that what tipped him off her hair being hella messy and like yeah. chopped up? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the hair is, the hair is one of the giveaways. Yeah. That's for sure. The, also the fact that every single person has been banished and there's like only a few people left. That's probably another giveaway. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, what? they get uh, what we're going to say. One thing I wanted to highlight here, sorry to interrupt, is like what's cool is after Zuko says something's off and that she's slipping so he feels he can take her, the music comes to a standstill and then all we hear are drums like do, do. And it's just like it really sets the stage for this fight. I just really wanted to highlight the music of the finale because they did an excellent job with the score here. Yeah, that that is very true. They do make it really intense and I think they do a nice job of slowing things down before this fight starts. Mm-hmm. Because so much of the episode has just been like, go, go, go. And to give that like small moment of break with just like the percussion is uh, a nice change of pace. Yeah, because then the music swells as we see them shoot two dueling fire blasts of different colors. Azula's blue to Zuko's red, which I thought was pretty epic and beautiful. Yeah, and they have some really incredible firebending in this uh, in this fight here. I mean, the amount of firebending that they have is just incredible. As they like send blasts at each other, they just have waves and waves of fire uh, burning down pretty much the entire city uh, behind them. So you know, lots of damage, but really just a pretty fight. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, anyway, so then. Uh, we go back to the Aang and Ozai fight here. Um, you know, they're they're fighting. It's it's a lot more of the same, actually. There's, like, not a ton. Essentially, the Fire Lord is very aggressive. Ozai's plan of attack is just, like, overpower and overwhelm Aang. Aang's plan is just avoid. Uh, you know, use rocks to dodge, use airbending to get out of the way. Uh, you know, blast stuff out of the way from wind. That's pretty much the the fight and where we go uh, in this scene. There, there's not a ton in this one that I think is interesting, except like uh, more flying around with firebending. Yeah, I think the one exciting thing to happen here is that Aang ends up getting struck by lightning by Ozai. That's like the one interesting thing to happen in this scene. Yeah, and the way that he like, uh, Aang almost has like a hesitation where like when Zuko, um, you know, is like uh, teaching him about getting struck by lightning uh, it seems like one of these things where, like, you have to be definitive, you have to be quick about it. Uh, but Aang almost, like, uh, isn't able to, like, handle it here. Uh, pretty interesting from from Aang. Um, the, the other thing that I think is uh, cool is that he creates, like, a tornado type thing. Um, I thought that was clever. Or, like, a, a cool use of bending. 
Yeah, his like airbending tornado that he creates. Yeah, it was pretty badass. Yeah, a good way to get rid of fire is just like give it so much uh, air that it like blows out. Pretty smart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those I think are like the the major point point uh, parts from this fight. Um, the other thing uh, that I think is cool is that we have this like rock armor uh, that Aang does. That is like a nice uh, shout out to the rock armor that Toph had. Yeah, yeah, and you could tell like like I was saying earlier, Toph's tutelage really shining through in this fight with Ozai. Yeah, I think that Toph probably ends up being the most important teacher for Aang, um, other than, you know, the clutch lion turtle that no one would have guessed. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, Toph ends up being the most clutch teacher because of all of that, like, uh, earthbending knowledge, um, as well as, like, uh, yeah, ultimately being able to sense, like, how everything goes in the last part of the fight uh, when, like, Ozai tries to strike back. Um, this is giving way ahead. But, uh, yeah, like, that that's also, like, very clutch from Toph there. Yeah, true. Aang uses his size makes sense to, like, stop uh, Ozai's sneak attack at the end. So you're right about that. Ooh, size makes sense. Alliteration, Zach, saying you don't know literary devices and pulling <laughs> that alliteration out. That's what they call it in the show, I'm pretty sure. So I'm just yeah, repeating I know, what I heard. Uh, I, still, I still appreciate it. Yeah, so Aang gets hit by this lightning attack head on, but then at the last second decides to not shoot it at Ozai, but shoot it directly up in the air. Is this a mistake? Should he have shot it at Ozai and just ended his life right here? Yeah, I think so, because, I mean, okay, yeah, expected value is that Ozai also knows how to redirect lightning, and that it probably doesn't kill him, and he's able to, like, get rid of it somehow. I feel like he would be so shocked by the fact that Aang knew how to redirect lightning just based on the expression on his face. Because when Aang is about to shoot it at him, he looks horrified. So I feel like he would be so shocked he wouldn't have time to react and redirect it. So I feel like he would eat the blast head on. The question is, would he survive? Because we see Zuko later on, there's just like right now, is about to get hit by lightning and survive. So what if Ozai just survives and just keeps on fighting pretty much? Yeah, but you don't have, like, magic healer Katara there to to help you get your HP back. Like, I think Ozai <laughs> would be, like, in real trouble. Yeah, but Katara's not healing Zuko right away, either. He's kind of just, like, that stuck with, like, his light, body riddled with lightning for a while until Katara beats Azula. Yeah, one of the scariest things that happens, actually, is after, um, like, after the Zuko, like, lightning blast happens, and after he has it, how he's still, like, twitching with lightning... Like that just that looks terrible. I don't I don't like the look at that at all. Yeah, I mean, why don't we just get into it now? Because we see we cut back to Zuko and Azula fighting in what appears to be slow motion. And honestly, this battle is so beautiful to watch. Just such a treat. Zuko and Azula shoot huge blasts at each other that they both evade. Then Azula responds with like a huge blast of her own that Zuko is able to dissipate. And then the fight goes on. And then Zuko goads Azula into using lightning. He's like, what's wrong? You don't have any lightning to shoot at me? And she's like, oh, I got lightning for you. (laughs) And then she does, but aims it at Katara at the last second. Zuko jumps into the blast and is incapacitated. He is down for the count. Now, do you think that Azula won the Agni Kai? Um... I don't think so, because, like, I think once you are start attacking another person, then the Agni Kai is just null and void. Like, it doesn't I don't count. think so at all. There is nothing in the rules of the Agni Kai 
that doesn't say you can't just attack a random audience member. I think that's like an unwritten rule that should be implemented, to be honest. I mean, you can't just attack random people in the audience. Because then it's not a one The whole point of Agni Kai is for it to be a one-on-one duel. When you're attacking random innocent bystanders, then it doesn't. it's not a one-on-one duel anymore. That's why I think it's like null and void. So like, okay, did Azula technically win the Agni Kai? Sure, she took out Zuko, but I mean, she was losing to Zuko before she shot him with lightning. I but thought that's, that's like, Zuko's problem that Zuko got distracted here. Okay, just the fact that Azula like happens to uh, attack someone else doesn't mean that the fight's not a one on one. Like you can attack someone random in the fight as long as they don't get involved, then it's still a one on one. It's still Magni Kai. I don't know. I don't know why you're taking Azula's side here, but I don't think she won. We'll agree to disagree well, here. Okay, I think Azula wins at Agni Kai and therefore ought to be Fire Lord at the end of the season. <laughs> now that's a scorching hot blue flame take if I ever heard one. But I actually do agree with this. I legitimately do. I believe she actually did win the Agni Kai. She landed a hit on Zuko before Zuko landed a hit on her. And it was actually outside fan interference that made her lose. I think she's the one who caused the fan interference in the first place, so she should eat her just desserts. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not saying that Katara should have just, like, taken it and, like, not fought, fought back or anything. Uh, but, look, I do believe Azula won the Agni Kai. I stand by that take. Uh, you know, that's my hot take uh, for the episode. I have a question. Why didn't Zuko teach Katara how to redirect lightning? If they're both going to confront Azula... It's like, why didn't he teach her that? You don't need to fire Ben to know how to redirect lightning, do you? Um, I don't think that you strictly need to be able to fire bend. It probably is a very different type of bending, so it's probably not super uh, like useful or like super easy for her to learn. Um, but Iroh said he learned it from watching waterbenders. Yeah, it's definitely like a waterbending-like technique, but it might actually be like uh, very, I don't know, anti- the like water bending and the actual moves that you're using because if you're going to confront azula you should want to be prepared when all avenues i feel like so everyone should know how to redirect lightning if you're all going to fight azula yeah i mean that's a good point uh i've been i'm looking it up uh just to see if there is a definitive answer um it seems like in order to re-release the lightning you would need to be able to bend it, and that would require for you to be a firebender. Ah, okay. Makes sense. So maybe you could, like, you know, redirect it out of you and do essentially what, like... Yeah, I don't really know. I guess it's not super clear. My guess is that you probably need to have some sort of uh, bending ability, but maybe maybe Katara should learn. If so, that is a massive blunder that they didn't teach her. Because yeah. it would have been that that would have been like super super helpful in order to like know like how to do that. It's like one of the more important skills. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, so after uh, Azula shows them the lightning, um, <laughs> and Zuko's down for the count, uh, we see Katara really like uh, you know step into her own here. Uh, Katara like has quite the quite the sequence of events as she's trying to to beat back Azula and Azula has the power of the comet on her side um but Katara really does does quite a nice job here 
or I guess this this scene happens after the the next Ozai and Aang scene. Yeah, it does. Oh well, I'm getting too ahead of myself. <laughs> it's okay because first we see we cut back to Aang and Ozai. Aang jumps out of the water that he got flown into and encases himself in rock. And then Ozai jumps down and confronts him, telling him he's weak, just like his people. And they did not deserve to exist in this world. Prepare to join them. Prepare to die. Which is some pretty dark stuff from Ozai here, to be quite frank. Yeah, that's that's brutal. That's a uh, that's a hard one to hear. I'm not sure I stand by that statement. Uh, that's that's a pretty bad one. Yeah, and that's how the episode ends. <laughs> you know, another episode of Avatar not ending off on a happy note. Honestly, you love to see that it's not a happy note, just at this point for the consistency. <laughs> True. So, episode um, two opens, and it opens with the exact same thing we just left out on, with Ozai blasting fire at Aang encased in the rock. Should we rank the episode before we get too far away from it? Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. So, Into the Inferno, what do you want to rank it? I'm going to go ahead and say Into the Inferno is a great episode of Avatar. You know, that's I don't even think that's honestly a hot take. I think it's like a a pretty uh a pretty mild take to say it's a great episode. But I'm gonna go ahead and give it a three point eight. Um, yeah. I I think all of the fights are like really exciting and there's just a lot of cool stuff that we see here. I'm in the exact same boat as you. I'm gonna give this a three point eight. It's a fantastic episode of Avatar. There's a couple of things that I don't necessarily, not that I hate, but I wish were changed a little bit. Like, I wish the fight between Azula and Zuko went on for a little bit longer and was primarily between Azula and Zuko. That's my one gripe with the episode. But besides that, it's a fantastic episode. Everyone's got stuff to do. And every character, no characters left behind. We get to see the White Lotus battling it out, which is pretty epic. And uh, yeah, overall, this episode is a 3.8 for both of us. Yeah, I actually think the best thing that you said of that is that everyone has something to do. I think that's very, very true. Like, every single character that we care about is pretty much, like, doing what they should be doing in this fight. Uh, And so, like, all of Team Avatar has something. And I think that's, like, pretty rare for every person to be able to contribute. So that is a a cool thing. Uh, We have the audience just slightly ahead of us, 3.84, leaving the episode at a 3.81. Nice. There you go. But now, now we can jump into the the last episode here, uh, aptly titled "Avatar Ang: More Alliteration." <laughs> Just an alliterative episode today. Yeah, they they really is. Um, what were the first two parts called? Were they alliterative? No, they weren't. I forget what they were called, oh, yeah. but I don't recall Not them being alliterative. They were the Phoenix King and the Old Masters. Yep, no alliteration there, sadly. Zach, you know what we should do to, to finish off this podcast? Is we should T-Quartet the four finale ending titles into the four bending elements. I don't think we should. <laughs> I'm going to veto that right now. That's going to be impossible. What are we going to have? What are you talking about? It's actually so easy. Avatar Aang is clearly air. The okay. old masters... Like, see, uh, you know, uh, okay, maybe it's not as easy. The Phoenix King is fire, sure. Wait, no, Into the Inferno is fire. Okay, then what's the Phoenix King? 
I don't know. <laughs> it's a little he's bit also, hard. It's also fire. They're both fire. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, and then the really old masters episodes. can be like earthbenders or something, sure. But then we have two firebenders there. That's why I always think like T quartets are bad when it's not like four defined, like it's not a defined quartet. It's just four random things. That doesn't make for a good T quartet. In my but you know what? What we'll do is every week, me and you will come up with a T quartet. We'll just tweet it out. We'll just tweet out random T quartets and we can continue onwards doing T quartets while the podcast is long finished. All right. Uh, we should do Sudoku, crossword, uh, logic puzzles, and. Paint by numbers. <laughs> sure. Well, so that'll <laughs> be our first T quartet after we're done the podcast. All right. That sounds good. Uh, and that's, that's a nice way to ease us out of podcasting is to still do that silly segment. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was All saying right. earlier, the episode opens with Ozai blasting fire at Aang encased in rock. Meanwhile, Sokka commands Toph to metal bend the rudder on the ship that they're on. So it's jammed into a turning position, which will cause it to take out a bunch of ships, which is pretty smart thinking from Sokka. Pretty on the feet thinking here. Yeah, I wish he thought about that a few minutes earlier before they lost Suki, but oh well. Um, You know, (laughs) you can't win them all. Uh, Sometimes you have your good ideas a little bit too late and you got to live with the consequences. Yeah. I also like that, that Sokka acknowledges how great Toph is by being like, have I ever mentioned how great it is that you know metal pending? And uh, Toph's like, you could stand to mention it more. Uh, <laughs> I, that was a very cute exchange between the two of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, they, uh, yeah, they're, you know, doing their own thing. Uh, Sokka then jumps off the, the ship uh, after they have that rudder in place. He puts his sword, like, in the side, trying to, like, slow them down. And if this ship is a blimp and is, like, weak as we think it is, I'm surprised that the sword's able to stick there. Yeah, I guess it's not a blimp, necessarily. It just kind of has the appearance of a blimp, even though it's not a blimp, I feel like. Because then, yeah. if it was a blimp, this would just cause it to careen off and, like, crash. The sword being impaled in it. Yeah, I mean, de- yeah, definitely, like, there's some metal there. Um, because they're able to, you know, hold on. Um, this is like uh, pretty intense though, because the firebenders are out there. Uh, Sokka throws his boomerang, um, and he like throws his sword out. He really gets rid of all of his tools here where he doesn't have much left going. And he says a great line where he says, I don't think boomerangs coming back Toph. It looks like it's the end, uh, which really just like, uh, that's a killer line. Yeah, it is a killer line. It really has that like finale moment where you're like, oh crap, this is the end. Like, what's going to happen to them here? Yeah. Um, you know, pretty pretty intense scene. I really did like uh start getting a little bit emotional here. Uh just because it does feel like there's such a nice uh final stamp to this, but um, you know, we don't end up needing the boomerang. Uh instead, Suki's here to save the day. Now, do you think there's any chance that he ever recovers the space sword or the boomerang? No, I think they're just like lost to the ocean. But he probably like makes a new one. I feel like so. It's, yeah, it's fair. Although I have the a space question sword, for you. it'd be hard to make another meteorite sword. Yeah, true. They'd have to find another meteorite. I have a question for you though. How yeah. was Suki able to command deer an airship that presumably had a bunch of Sozin's comet boosted firebenders on it? How was she able to take them out and take control of the ship? 
I literally have no idea. I also had in my notes and I'm like, I, I put in like, I really would like to know what like a uh, crazy solution she came up with to convince everyone to jump off the ship this time. <laughs> like I, I have no clue what the gimmick could have been, but like, it's not like she could just go in and beat them with like the metal bending. Like she's not able to outbend them. Um, you know, like they have Sozin's comet, like sure. She's a very trained fighter, but like, there's just a, uh, a power gap between like benders at their peak and, uh, and Suki. But I don't know. Whatever she did, great job by her. Yeah, true. Great job by Suki. That's all I can say as well, because I'm kind of confused as to how yeah. she was able to do it. But hey, why not? Yeah, uh, it is a little bit confusing there. Um, anyway, we see Ozai. Ozai is just slinging these fire blasts at Aang. And I really appreciate uh, this is completely unnecessary. He could just like hit the the little rock shell that Aang's built himself straight on every time, but he doesn't. He throws some sidewinders. He goes left. He goes right. He goes up, down. He goes all around. He goes 360 on this rock. I was very impressed. Yeah, he has to hit it from every conceivable angle, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so after he hits it from every conceivable angle, uh, he continues to crush this rock shield uh, he completely breaks all of the rocks, uh, revealing that Aang's also, like, airbending him. Uh, and as he's, like, pushing him back, uh, the airbending then crashes uh, into a rock. Uh, and as he hits a rock, he hits that scar on his back, that point uh, that was shot by lightning earlier at the end of Season 2. Uh, and we see this whole Avatar state uh, reveal where, like, we see, like, uh, you know, uh, some stuff is Roku. We see some stuff is Kyoshi. We see all of this like uh, Avatar line, and we see Aang go into the Avatar state. What are your thoughts on Aang going into the Avatar state here at this moment in the fight? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Apparently, hitting this rock was able to unlock his last chakra that he had previously locked in season two, the cosmic energy chakra. I think is what it was. If mm-hmm. I'm correct, and. Uh, it's kind of a deus ex machina, to be honest. He just randomly is able to go into the Avatar state after locking it. I kind of don't necessarily love it, but also they kind of, I feel like the writers wrote themselves into a corner when they locked Aang's chakra. I feel like once they did that, they had to have some like bad shit insane way to unlock his chakra. So they were able to find a way to do that and make it make sense within the story. So I feel like the writers did all they could, but I don't know. I don't necessarily love it, but I don't know how I would write it differently myself at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I don't really mind this one as much as the lion turtle because the lion turtle, at least like, um, like it wasn't set up at all. This has like, you know, entire episodes dedicated to him trying to do this. He makes peace with not being able to unlock the avatar state. Like there really is a lot of information here. Um, mm-hmm. where like he has like, I don't know. Um, like he's, he's thought about this before and like, it's come up mm-hmm. before it's been a struggle. Um, so I don't really mind this one as much. I agree. Uh, it does kind of come out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't really mind, uh, too much. I do think that it is a good question to ask, like which fight is better. The fight where Ozai is like, uh, being the aggressor against Aang or where Aang in the avatar state is being the aggressor against Ozai. Which one do you like more? I think I like Aang being the aggressor almost. It's more fun. Like the bending he uses is just so cool. That like spiral that he surrounds himself with, with like the air, water, fire, and earth. 
I think that's pretty badass. Yeah, like at one point he like shoots this like rock fragments at like lightning speed at Ozai, which I thought was pretty epic. He does a lot of cool stuff when he's in that state. So, yeah, I I, I definitely see that. I kind of like the fight more a little bit more when like Ozai is the one who's like attacking and and uh, Ang's on the defensive. Um, just because like once Ang is in the Avatar state, it's so clear he's going to be able to dominate. Um, that it just, there's no way that he's able to, uh, yeah, he's going to be able to lose this. Yeah. So he comes out from the rubble in the avatar state and grabs Ozai by the beard, which must be so dehumanizing just to like be winning this battle by so much and then have this man come out and grab you by the beard. Yeah. I mean, the goatee has got to be one of the like worst places to grab someone by. I mean, that is pretty much the ultimate disrespect. Yeah, yeah, it is the ultimate form of disrespect, you're right. <laughs> Ozai tries to blast at him, but he gets easily defect- deflected. Then Aang in the Avatar state floats above Ozai with an airbending sphere and lets loose a roar scarier than a tiger dillos and blasts fire out of all his limbs <laughs> and his mouth, creating what almost looks like a flaming starfish. <laughs> wow, that was quite the imagery there. Um, flaming starfish roar better than a tiger still. Wow. I mean, really so many, uh, you know, literary devices baked in there, Zach, uh, quite the explanation. I, I did like, uh, Aang really just showing like, Hey, I'm going to be dominant here. Um, I don't think that the flaming starfish is my favorite move though. I don't know why people want to like, you know, breathe and shoot fire out of their extremities. Like just do one. Yeah, that's fair. Ozai does something similar at the beginning of the battle mm-hmm. where he like he shoots it out of both his hands and his mouth. Yep. So yeah, I know what you mean. It's not the best move. No, nope. uh, but then what Aang does is pretty cool. He decides um, to take like the four different elements and put them around him. So he has like the air uh, whipping around his body. He takes some earth uh, and he moves it, and it creates like this uh, ring around Aang. He takes some water from the ocean, creates another ring. He creates a fire ring around himself, uh, and now he has all four elements uh, in tandem around him as he's, like, uh, in this fight. Pretty cool to get to see him, like, with all of these elements. I think it's a really great shot of just, like, an epic uh, piece of, of like, um, yeah, just yeah. an epic piece of, like, cinematography. It's weird. It's weird to call animation cinematography, but that's what it is. Yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. I agree with you completely. Uh, but yeah, so cool, uh, cool on him there. Um, and then yeah, from there, like really, the fight is just in his hand. Like there's almost nothing that he's gonna be able or uh, Ozai's gonna be able to do because Aang really is just in control here. Um, Ozai's like trying to get away. Uh, now he's the one who's on the run, using like the fire to try to escape. Uh, he keeps trying to retreat. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure. Like, I think maybe he sends like one offensive blast after this. And like, after that, he's just like out. Yeah. He sends one like off balance blast. I think that's a little bit later though. Cause then we cut back to Boomy and the white Lotus and bossing say Boomy takes out a whole battalion by himself. And then Iroh ceremoniously burns down the fire nation flag. Nice little scene we get here. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty way to show, um, you know, Iroh take back the capital. 
Um, we don't see a ton from the White Lotus. I think we see like the right amount. I don't want to spend a ton more time on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I did like that scene where, you know, Uncle Iroh burns a flag and we see the Earth Nation flag is left. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. I like this scene as well. And you're, I agree with you that we got the exact right amount of the White Lotus. Not too much and not too little, just right. Yep. Um, we also go back to the Agni Kai here where, um, Azula, you know, is faking some concern for Zuko. I thought this was a little bit funny. Like Zuko's, you know, very clearly struggling to get up. And Azula's like, oh, you know, let's have the family doctors have him take a look. Like, uh, you know, just sit down. You're not doing so well. I thought it was like, it it was just like a a cute change of pace for Azula after striking her own brother down with lightning. Yeah, Azula's just, She's so unhinged, she can make that code switch really easily and just change gears. Yeah. Um, But yeah, she's pretty relentless as she attacks Katara. Like, really is just coming after her all the time. Even when Katara is using, like, water and ice to try to fend Azula back, the fire that Azula has literally, like, melts away the water, melts away the ice. Uh, really just absolutely dominating to where Katara is completely on her back feet, which is not something that we've seen from Katara in a fight in like two seasons. Yeah, you're right, actually. I can't remember the last time I've seen Katara on her back foot. But Katara is going to come up with a pretty genius way to beat Azula here, so I'll give Katara some credit. She like uses some quick thinking, almost Sokka-esque in her battle thinking here, as Katara is, so. Yeah, this is very inventive. I do think that she probably was, um, you know, given some sort of inspiration from uh, from Sokka's quick thinking. Um, she goes over these, like, uh, grates that have water underneath it. And as Azula is about to land a blow, she just raises the water around her and then freezes it. Uh, and then unfreezes, like, parts around her so that she can chain Azula up and tie her down before uh, she's unfrozen and able to like land that finishing blow. Yeah, you summed it up very well. And then she chains Azula down to the grate, and Azula is not happy. She's like yelling and like breathing fire out of her mouth. Yeah, that, that scene was like quite good, I feel like. As Azula is like in an uncontrollable rage... She's just, like, crying, like, yelling, screaming, like, breathing fire, like, all the emotions hitting at once, um, which really just, like, just makes you, like, pity Azula. Uh, you've, I, I felt quite bad for her. Yeah, me too. And it's crazy. Look how powerful Katara is. Even a Sozin's Comet-powered Azula is no match for Katara. Would you look yeah. at that? It's, uh, it's impressive. Yeah. Um, anyway, we go back to Aang fighting uh, Ozai. Um, yeah, like, essentially Aang is just, like, hunting Ozai down. Like, Ozai is trying to get away. He is, like, you know, getting some distance, but it doesn't matter how much distance he gets. Aang will just, like, burst through literal pillars of rock. He'll burst through the earth itself to get to Ozai. He really is on a mission uh, as he's chasing Ozai down. Um, yeah, I, just very impressive, very big shows of strength from Aang. Um, yeah. Yeah, Ozai's basically running for his life at this point, being chased down by Aang and his all-powerful elemental spear. 
Yeah, all, all powerful elemental spear is pretty much just like uh, you're done. Like it doesn't matter how much you how much you try, you're gonna lose. Yeah, Ozai has a couple of counterattacks here. He shoots like this fire kick at Ang, which Ang parries with two large stone pillars, and then he launches some huge blast of, of or uh, Ang shoots fire at Ozai, who responds with like a three pronged fire attack of his own. And Ang does something cool here where he sends like a little blast of water in each like head of fire and causes it to dissipate from the inside. So yeah, shout out Ang and his masterful water bending there. Yeah, and uh, he gets him essentially like uh, chained, um, but like with Earth, like he's completely incapacitated. He has to like essentially listen to Ang lecture him uh, about <laughs> all the crimes as he like reads him his Miranda rights. Um <laughs> But he says that like uh, that Fire Lord Ozai is being brought um, for all of the the harm that he's done to the balance of the world, and in the Avatar state, he says you're going to pay the ultimate price. Um, so he combines all four elements. He gets ready to attack. Uh, he gets really close uh, to attacking him, but just then we see a little bit of hesitation, and he snaps out of the Avatar state. He goes back to his regular Aang voice and he says, no, I'm not going to end it like this. Yeah. And then Ozar responds. He's like, even with all the power in the world, you are still weak. Then we see Ozai try to launch a sneak attack, but Aang is able to use his seismic sense to trap both his arms in a blast of air to stop uh, an attack from Ozai's mouth. So shout out Aang here. He didn't even need the Avatar state. Would you look at that? Not that even in true. the Avatar state, and he's able to stop Ozai in his tracks. Yeah, that is very true. He does a pretty good job here of uh, making sure that there is that like uh, distance between them. He's able to have that quick closing speed. Really technically good fighting here, but uh, I don't know. I really wish that he would have just done it. Um, I, w- like, I-, I wish that he would have just killed Ozai there. Really? You were the one who all last week was saying, oh, we shouldn't kill Ozai at all. It doesn't make any sense to kill him. And now you're changing your tune, I feel like. I agree. I knew I was going to get flack for it. I knew that, you know, I couldn't come on here, completely change my tune and not get anything. But I think it would have been more satisfying compared to what we get, which is the sort of like middle ground approach. I feel like what you could do is you could say like, Aang could just say, like, no, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, I will be here to fight you anytime you want. But, like, you can't keep doing this to people. And, like, beat him into submission, like, by beating his will. Or you can just end him here. But I really think that when he, like, has that shot where he takes all the four elements and he goes for the jugular, that it kind of would have been just satisfying to see, like, Ozai drop lifeless on the floor. I agree. I think he should have killed Ozai here. I thought that last week, and I think that this week as well. I, know. I think he yeah. should have just done it. I will say, Zach, I was surprised when I changed my mind. <laughs> really? Yeah, because you're just yeah. a pacifist at heart, right? Correct. I practice the speech all the time. No one's drafted <laughs> me in the military. I'm I'm a pacifist. <laughs> uh, um, yep. Anyway, before we get to see uh, all this, we go back to the lion turtle. Uh, where we get to see what the lion turtle taught Aang, uh, as the lion turtle teaches that there is not just the four types of bending that we know, the bending of the elements, but they can bend the energy of themselves. Um, so we see this information, uh, like how Aang is able to bend energy itself, 
Uh, and the lion turtle says, um, to bend another's energy, your own spirit will need to be unbendable or you will be corrupted and destroyed. So what Aang does is he takes Ozai and at first it's like 50, 50, they're exactly equal. But as the lion turtle is revealing this, uh, we see like the orange start to take over and the blue goes away, uh, representing Aang. It gets all the way to like essentially the smallest sliver that possibly could be, uh, where the only part of Aang that is still blue is like his mouth and eyes and that's it. I mean, the the whole universe was just, like, that close. Crazy. Yeah, the whole universe was that close to having Ozai win and just the Fire Lord become the Phoenix King and rule over the world. But instead, Aang is able to... The blue light comes back with a vengeance, the music comes in, and Aang is able to take away Ozai's bed. Yep. Um, Ozai seems, like, pretty upset about this, too. Uh, he's not very happy that he doesn't have his bending. Um, then we get joined by Momo, Sokka, Toph, and Suki. Um, and they're all, you know, like starting to recap the fight. Uh, Suki asks like, Hey, uh, did, did you kill him? And Oze's like, I'm still alive. And he seems, <laughs> he seems so upset that he's alive. I feel kind of bad for him. Yeah. I think at that point, if you're Ozai, you'd almost rather be dead. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, anyway, then uh, we hear that the person who taught him is a giant lion turtle, uh, to which Toph just smiles away the bad writing by saying, you have the craziest adventures when you disappear. <laughs> oh, smiles away the bad writing. An L you're giving to Yeah, I'm giving Toph. an L for being lame. An L uh, for lame. Would you look at that? Yeah, speaking of being lame, Sokka goes and stuns on Ozai, calling him the loser lord to his face. Uh, then Ozai's like, I'm the Phoenix King. And Toph says, the Phoenix King of getting your butt whooped. Yeah, pretty good insults all around. Really? I think I, the both insults are like zero out of ten insults. Um. <laughs> uh- I don't know. What what would your insult be to the Fire Lord here once you've beaten him? I think I would just light a match in front of him. I, I think I'd be like, look, I can create more fire than you. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Yeah, I actually true. think that Suki's line is not that bad if she said it more confidently. Like, King of the Guys Who Don't Win is effectively the same thing as, as uh, Phoenix King of Getting Your Butt Whooped. I think hers is the worst by far, though. Like, the other two are, like, 1 out of 10, and then hers is, like, a 0 out of 10. King of guys who don't win, that's a horrible insult. <laughs> I don't know. If someone told you that, I feel like I feel like it's a little insulting. You're the king of guys who don't win. I don't know if I'm yeah. being insulted by that. Well, all right. I, probably because you're winning all the time. Oh, you know, you'd true. be surprised. Nah, I'm, I'm taking a lot of L's. Trust uh, me, my friend. <laughs> Too bad. Um, Anyway, so there you go. That's pretty much the last scene that we get at that battlefield. Then we have a pretty abrupt switch here as we switch to uh, Zuko at the Fire Nation. He's back in the palace putting on some like uh, pretty official robes here. uh, And we see May come back in. Um, May says that, you know, she knows her her uncle's able to pull some strings to get out of prison Plus, you know, the Fire Lord uh, happens to be sweet on her, so he, she's able to get out of prison. Um, 
Anyway, May is able to confess her feelings by saying, I kind of actually like you, which might be the most uh, qualifying I've ever heard for something that's supposed to be sweet. Yeah. What what a romantic little scene we have here between <laughs> May and Zuko. <laughs> True enough. Um, we get this whole big like uh, ending scene here uh, as like the, the party starts, uh, as the good guys start celebrating. Um, you know, lots of scenes ha- or lots of movies have this sort of scene at the end where the, everyone celebrates. Uh, and we see all the important people uh, as they're at the coronation of Zuko's uh, coronation to be the new Fire Lord. Uh, we see a lot of the people like Duke. We see Pipsqueak. We see uh, the the Foggy Swamp Tribe. We see uh, Hakoda. We see Sokka Katara. We see some Firebenders, some Earthbenders. Um, you know who we don't see? Bato? Well, we don't see Bato. We don't see Che. And I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> I do feel bad for him. I completely forgot all about Che. Yeah, we. I think we do see Bato, actually. But I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, we don't see Che. Rest yeah. in peace to Che. Not that he's dead, but hey. No, he would never. <laughs> <laughs> he would never die. He's Che. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, Hakoda, uh, embraces Katara and Sokka. Um, and then, uh, the Kyoshi warriors come in. Now this, I think might be my favorite placement of any of the people, uh, for like their final story. We see that Tai Lee has joined the Kyoshi warriors. Is this not the perfect place for her to be? Yeah, I think it is. It's a great fit for Tai Lee. She has a bunch of like sisterly figures. So it's reminiscent to her growing up when she was had six sisters or whatever amount of sisters she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus uh, she can blow, which is a, a, like a very cool thing that she's going to be able to do. Uh, so that's like cool that she's going to be able to have that. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's quite cool. Good, good placement for her, for sure. Yep, I agree completely. Shout out Ty Lee joining the Kiyoshi Warriors. Yep. Uh, then we see Zuko and Aang, they get to talk. Uh, they admit that they're friends, which is sweet. Um, and, uh, yeah, Aang says that they were, that not only a year ago, he was frozen in a block of ice. Uh, but they, that Zuko and Aang feel committed to make the world a better place. Yeah, and this was like a really nice, heartfelt moment between Aang and Zuko. And then they give each other a hug before entering to the crowd with all four nations represented. I like this. This was a nice, touching scene to wrap up the whole series. Yeah, I agree. And I think that uh, Zuko's speech is really good here, too. Um, The speech is essentially saying, like, you know, the war is over, but there's a lot more work. Uh, We're going to, like, keep it going. Um, You know, the world has been scarred from 100 years of fighting. Uh, but with the Avatar, we'll make it back and we'll get a new uh, era of love and peace. Yeah. Yeah, new era of love and peace indeed. This nice. was nice. This was a nice ending to the series. I don't know. I like, and then we cut to, we see some kids earth bending over the stack of Fire Nation tanks that Boomy created while Iroh plays his Sungi horn. And, uh,. Yeah, and then we get this, like, nice Sokka making a painting that looks like absolute crap. (laughs) Yeah, that was not the best part. Uh, One extra thing that we get here, which is just such a good setup for, uh, like, all of the comics, 
is Zuko going to confront Ozai? Yes, saying, I skipped over this. Saying, uh, like, you need to tell me where my mom is. Uh, and we see, like, Zuko just, like, have a lot of determination here. Um, as, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of information is passed. Uh, lots of interesting stuff going on uh, over mm-hmm. there in the comics. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't mind covering the comics on a podcast if we ever got that opportunity somewhere. Yeah, I mean, maybe we could do that as like a a patron podcast or something. Yeah, I'd be down. PSR. All right. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, so then we get that scene in the tea shop. Uh, They're all loving the Jasmine Dragon, uh, hanging, (laughs) uh, hanging, getting some tea. Yeah, Sokka does just draw one of the worst paintings ever. I mean, I'm a bad artist, but... Asaka's like on my level of art. Like he's <laughs> as bad as me, if not worse. Yeah, that's uh that's not great. Um yeah, the the painting is quite bad, uh, but the sentiment is very sweet. Uh they're all able to enjoy hanging out in that nice tea shop. Um, as we actually get a title credit that says uh the end. Well, I guess first we get uh Katara kissing Yang, but gross. You just wanted to gloss over that? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's the culmination of like a three-season arc of Aang courting Katara and failing. Then he finally vanquishes the Fire Lord and is able to consummate his love with his one true kiss. How can you not be? How can you not feel something, Jacob? At least it's consensual this time. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> I mean that that really is what's on my mind. So yeah, no, it's fair. It's a fair criticism of Egg. At least it's consensual. It's true, and that's yeah. it. That's the series. We're done. I'm shocked. We covered the whole dang thing. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just wow. We did it. Yeah, uh, I mean, really quite exciting that we've gotten the whole way. I mean, like genuinely, thank you so much to all the people who've listened to to make this possible. Like you know. With uh, with no one else listening, then it's a whole lot less fun for Zach and I to cover this. But it's been quite a fun ride. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've learned so many extra things about the series that I wouldn't have noticed the first time. So many fun bits that we've gotten. Uh, quite a fun journey we've been on the past year and some change. Yeah, thanks to all the listeners. Thanks to all the people behind the scenes who put in so much work to make this happen. Like Maddie, our intrepid editor. Sam Moore, Josh Wiggler, Jess Sterling for uploading the episodes. Uh, who else do I have to thank? Thank you to all our guests who graced us with their presence. We've had a fantastic list of guests to run through. I'm not going to list them all by name because it's just going to be way too long. I'll be sitting here for like 10 minutes, but <laughs> you guys know who you are. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks to Will from America for the theme music. That's incredible. Thank you to everyone who had a small part in putting this together. And thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of this as well. Yeah. Um, you know, let's uh, let's go through our segments at one last time uh, and wrap up the series. Um, we have quite a bit of listener feedback that we can get into. But first, let's just rank this final Avatar Aang episode one last time. Let's take my score, your score, the listener score to get the official Aang in their score. Zach. What are you feeling for the final Avatar Aang episode? You know what? I'm going to give it a four. Even though, Ooh. is it a four? Is it a four? Not, maybe not. But fours can be weighted differently. It's the final episode. We got to see Aang in the Avatar state one last time, which I thought was 
badass and dope. So I'm just going to give it a four. It's the final episode, my final four to give out. Why not? Wow, goes with a four. That's wild. Uh, the listeners are pretty close on their last episode. 3.84 for part three, 3.81 for part four. Man, I, I was going to give it a 3.7 because I like part three more than part four. But you're giving it a four. I, I almost want to join the club. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to amend my previous score. I'm going to give part three a four as well. Can I do that even though uh, I gave it a 3.8 earlier in the podcast? Sure. Uh, I'll have to go back and uh, and change the rating, but sure, you can give it a four. Yeah, um, let's do it up. Why not? So they'll both be fours from me. All right, so a four from you from this this current part, a three point eight one from the listeners. I'm 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 gonna give it. I'll give it a three point eight, and I guess if we're going back and changing the scores, I'll give the last part a three point nine. Okay, sounds good. All right, so that's gonna be a three point eight seven for part four, and. Let's do the old score, quick math. 3.91 is our new score for part three. Nice. Nice. There you go. And we're going to rank the battles now, right? The battles, yes. We do need to rank Aang and uh, Avatar, uh, or sorry, Avatar Aang and Fire Lord Ozai, as well as the Agni Kai. Uh, Let's start off with the, the Aang and Ozai of it all. Thing and Ozai fight, I'm going to give it a four. It's one of the best fights in the series, I think. I th- okay. we've, had a, we've had some fights that pale in comparison to this one. I'm going to give this a four. I think it's just a fantastic fight back and forth. We have Ozai's like tremendous displays of fire bending and Aang's like, unique and innovative ways of bending while in the Avatar state. And for those reasons, I'm going to give it a four. I honestly love how, uh, how happy you are just handing out fours all the time. I, you I get have a four. To... You get a four. Everyone gets a four. <laughs> Check under your desk. There's a four. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna give this a three point seven five. Not because I don't like it. Like it's one of the better fights that there are. But just because I it, I need to differentiate that from the uh, the other fight that we get, which is the Agni Kai plus the Azula and Katara fight. That to me is a four. That has to be like the four in the in my book. Uh, so we do need to have that extra space, but that's a four for me. What is it from you, Zach? It's also a four. I love, I think the Azula Zuko fight is my favorite part of the whole finale. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a four as well. I'd give it a 4.1 if I could, but I can't. A <laughs> 4.1? I don't want to break this scale, so I'll just give it a four as well. I think they're both fours. I think I prefer the Azula Zuko fight, but I just wish it was longer. That's yeah, all. no. That that is uh, that is really fair. Like if it was a bit longer, I think it would uh, be even better. But you know, can't complain too much because we do have a very packed episode as it is. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. I mean, some really high ratings at the end. This is a series that does the finale quite well. You know, we complain about the lion turtle a bit, um, but I, I think it. I think it was quite good. Um, yeah, I will say so. Sean from Boston wrote in and said that the finale is one of the least fulfilling and most disappointing and nonsensical finales on TV. Is that a hotter take than the fact that I think that Azula won? Um, I think it is a little nonsensical of a finale, but it's fulfilling, I think. 
Yeah. Like, I, I, I remember think... being satisfied when I watched Avatar for the first time and finished it. I wasn't, like, longing. I mean, I was longing for more content with the characters, but I wasn't longing for more from the story. I thought they did a good job summing up everything. So I think it's fulfilling. So I disagree with Sean from Boston, but I appreciate the feedback nonetheless. So shout out, Sean. Yeah, he does give a pretty good, like, uh, sort of, like, differing scenario, essentially, which uh, revolves around Ozai wanting to take the North Pole uh, to conquer, like, the whole known world. And I think that that does give, like, some cool uh, bits. Like, you do get a, a nice backdrop for the fight. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that the the way that we had the fight was was good as it is. So, you know, I won't complain about it too much. But I do think that there are some, uh, some cool things that could have been done. But that's just what happens when you set up characters that are so cool is that you can't help but to have, like, uh, you know, cool ways to pay off different different aspects. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, all right. Well, let's see. We have uh, a few different questions to jump into. Maybe the most important question, the question that's been on my mind uh, for the longest. Uh, someone asked, which character from the Atli universe would be the best at Sudoku? <laughs> I think I answered that in reply to that question, but I think Iroh would be quite good. I could imagine him just like doing Sudoku puzzles while sipping on his tea. I feel like he'd be deceptively fast. Like you'd look one second, his puzzle would have no numbers. And then you look <laughs> or will you look again and then it'll just be like done. So I don't know. I feel like Iroh would be really good. I feel like Azula with her inner competitive nature would be like elite at Sudoku, just like she is at everything. So yeah, I feel like they could both give me a run for my money. Yeah, I think uh, the answer that made me laugh the hardest was uh, Wan Shi Tong. It's one of his 10,000 <laughs> things that he knows. Um, but if I if I think I was going to give an answer, I think it might be Long Fang. Long Fang seems like the type who's like, he's smart, um, but like he seems like he would just do a lot of like puzzles and that sort of thing because like he wants to flex how smart he is. So I think I think that that might be my like uh, my sleeper pick. Yeah, Long Fang would probably be a boss at Sudoku. So yeah, that's a solid question, and there we go. <laughs> yeah, um, great question there. Uh, yeah, maybe let's get to Dan's question now. What group or what na- what uh, bending type do we think had the best representation in the finale? I think it's between fire bending and water bending, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I definitely, do, it's not airbending because it's just Aang and Aang relies on a lot of other uh, bending types. Toph really does just so much to like disrupt the airships. We have Boomy on part of the invasion. Like there's a lot of earthbending representation, but yeah, I think it's got to be fire. Yeah, I think it's fire as well, honestly. Yeah, I, I do think that like uh, Dan makes some great points. Um Dan says that uh, the airships uh, slicing the other airships is essentially a water bending move. Katara technically won the Agni Kai, which I disagree with. Uh, Dan, it was <laughs> it was definitely Azula. Um, Aang's first use of the Avatar State after he mastered it was using the ocean to put out the fire. Both the Foggy Swamp and the Southern Water Tribes had representation at the coronation. The finale was a big episode for water. That was the. That was the the question there. Or I guess yeah. it wasn't even a question. I just turned it into one. Yeah, I think it was uh, still fire, though. Fire dominated the finale. The whole finale was colored with, like, fire all over the place. So I still think fire trumps water there. But, hey, water yeah. puts out fire in real life. So there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that water beat fire in the game that uh, Davis Comma Will came up with for the Rock, Paper, Scissors. <laughs> um, Andrew uh, wrote in that someone said that uh, Korra is a far more talented avatar and that she would have ended the war much sooner, sooner than Aang. Uh, Andrew suggested it's a garbage take, but wants to know our opinion. Do you have any take? Do you think that uh, Korra would have fu- ended the war faster or sooner? Um, if Korra had the, I forget, did Korra have the Avatar state mastered in season one of Korra? Uh, no. Yeah, without the Avatar state, she probably doesn't end the war faster than Aang, so probably not. Yeah, I guess it's it's not like she doesn't, she doesn't know how to energy bend either, sorry to interrupt, but, so I don't know. No worries. Yeah, I think that probably, she would have confronted Ozai faster, and she probably would have been more direct with the fights. Uh, Mm -hmm. But she probably doesn't end up winning that first encounter that she has uh, with Ozai. So probably the war doesn't necessarily end faster. She just might like, you know, fight Ozai more times. Yeah. Like Aang is one for one to fight Ozai. I think Korra probably ends up fighting Ozai like two or three times. And each time like, uh, you know, like learn something new and like masters another skill. Yeah, that's a good theory. I, I um, John John asked, "Who's the game changer of the Atla universe?" Who's the game changer of the Atla universe? Well, I think it's got to be the creator of Pi Show or whoever created that game. They changed the game by creating Pi Show, <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's favorite sensical game. I do love a sensical game. Uh, that is for sure. I was going to say Toph because you know we call her cheat code all the time, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Toph, you know, yeah, Toph, Toph is a great game changer. We'll go with that. We'll make Toph the official game changer. When Survivor does game changers too, we'll make sure they cast Toph for it. I mean, that would be epic. If we could get Toph in a season of reality TV, <laughs> whew, I'd be so excited. Um, and then Sarah had a few questions as well. Uh, what's your favorite moment in the show? Uh, what's your favorite moment in the podcast? Um, my favorite moment in the show is probably when Azula strikes down Aang, just because I remember when I first watched that, just like being so shocked that that's how they chose to end the season with Aang being struck down by lightning. So I think that's my favorite moment of the whole series, though Azula and Zuko fighting at the, in the final, in the final, the the second to last episode with uh, the music swelling and stuff. That's also one of my favorite moments in the whole series. So what about you, Jacob? What's your favorite moment? Yeah, I think it's that stretch of episodes that goes from like Tales of Bossing Say through the end of that season two finale where you have that like uh, you have essentially Azula coming in and like defining that villain arc um, Mm -hmm. as well as like so many other other like great stories going on. Um, Like the Dai Li, like the unraveling of that's really exciting. Um, So, yeah, I think that's probably my favorite moment of the show. I think my favorite moment of the podcast is when we get way too into bits and we keep them going way longer than we should. I mean, Bacho of the Water Tribe could have been a, a one-off joke. Uh, and now I feel like it's like, uh, you know, shorthand for like uh, just how much like, uh, you know, silliness is going on over here on, on Aang in there. Well, even the pocket fish thing we kept from like the first <laughs> podcast we did. And I referenced it two weeks ago on the last podcast we did. So it stayed with us from the first episode we did all the way till now, pretty much. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that one, like the, the Aunt Wu, Aunt Who joke, the, the, <laughs> my obsession with Che. I mean, so many good jokes we've had. 
Um, yeah. Sarah also asked, uh, as a, um, as like a year in review type question, what did I learn most about myself during the podcast journey? I think it like, I, I know I've had some like weird stories, but saying like coming up with like, or not coming up with like revealing these weird stories, like week by week just makes me like think about like all the weird stuff that I've done. And like, uh, makes me like appreciate it a bit more. Like, you know, I told a story about how I licked artifacts in a museum, like, that never should have come up, but it's just like fun to have that sort of thing come up. Uh, Speaking about- of which, I think that's my favorite moment in the podcast. When you said you licked the artifact, I just remember being so shocked and appalled by your actions. Yeah, <laughs> but your uh, face was pretty confused. You were just like, "Wait, what?" Like, uh, like all sort of. Yeah, I thought that it looked like you thought that I was joking, and you were like waiting to hear like me just be like, "Just kidding," but. Um, there you go. Um, any, any other feedback that we missed Zach? I know we got like, uh, some more questions. Any, anything that we should leave it off on? No, I think we touched on everything. What was Sarah's last question that she just, uh, you just mentioned? Um, what did you learn most about yourself on the podcast journey? Yeah. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. What did I learn most about myself? I learned that. Jacob is a very talented man and he was able to basically carry me through this podcast together. And uh, yeah, shout out Jacob Redman. I learned about how talented and wonderful a friend he is. So you're, uh, you're very nice, Zach. I really appreciated, you know, getting to joke with you every week. It's nice to have an appointment where every week you're going to go on and just like, uh, you know, be silly and make jokes for a few hours a week. That's pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. I, I genuinely am very grateful to all the people uh, who have made this possible. So thank you very much. It really has been fun. And, and Zach, thank you for going on this journey with me. Thank you for suggesting the podcast. I mean, this wouldn't mm-hmm. have even existed without you. Um, so shout out for you for, uh, DMing me randomly and just being like, Hey, you should do an avatar podcast. Let's do one. <laughs> Yeah, on that fateful day, like a year and a half ago, when I yeah. DM'd you. Exactly. Um, well, there you go. I think the the only thing that's left for us to do, Zach, is to uh, to do some plugs and get on out of here. So, Zach, where can the people keep up with you? People can keep up with me on Twitter, at ZachMohammed32. And where can they keep up with you, Jacob? People can keep up with me, at JK Redman. All right. Well, for the final time, sayonara, everybody. Peace out. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.